Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by swan.com. Today, my guest is Jonathan Chester. He's the founder of BitWage, a service related to uh, do payroll, but with Bitcoin. And so we're talking about earning Bitcoin and remote working and the story of growing BitWage, as well as the market size for payroll, as well as hodling being the use. This show is brought to you by swan.com. And if you're with a business, have you considered stacking Bitcoin as part of your corporate or business entity balance sheet? Swan Business can help you with this by making it easy for you to automate your Bitcoin investment, your custody and management strategy, and you will get expert guidance every step along the way. There's a lot of entities who are signing up with Swan because Swan offers really fast sign up. So this is a great benefit for you because I'm aware that with many competitors, it takes a long time to get businesses onboarded. So if you're on board with Swan Business, you can start stacking Bitcoin in your corporate balance sheet. And this is for various entity types. And you can also make use of Bitcoin benefit plan. This is a plan where you can pay out Bitcoin as a benefit to your staff every month or every year or even on a one-off basis. So Swan handles all the heavy lifting like creating wallets and so on. If you want to stack sats as part of your business or pay out Bitcoin benefits, go to swan.com slash business. And now onto the show with Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Stefan. Yeah, so... uh, I see what you guys are doing over at Bitwage, and I thought it'd be interesting to have a chat with you. Um, obviously, uh, you've been around in the space for a while, so do you want to just give us a bit of a, a background on who you are and how you started Bitwage? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I first heard about Bitcoin back in 2013, and I came across it on a TED Talk that was just talking about different forms of money and how money can how people can transact in different ways in the in the future. One way was actually people trading uh, laundry detergent in prisons. Uh, another way was with you know money that came in the form of essentially loyalty points that you acquired by running in Nike shoes. And then it kind of built up to the concept of Bitcoin, right? Being this this digital currency that enabled financial sovereignty to help bank the own bank and has implications on you know, making international payments more efficient. And I came out of this, this TED Talk, you know, basically obsessed about Bitcoin. You know, I was, I was, I wanted to learn everything I could. So I, I went down the rabbit hole. I was reading all, reading and watching all the content. I, I read the Bitcoin white paper. And after, I think it was like the first two pages, I couldn't really understand it. Uh, now I can, but back then I it was, it was it was pretty hard to understand the cryptographic concepts. And I remember watching Andreas Antonopoulos, and all of his videos were just like him at a bar talking about Bitcoin. Anyways, now I'm this obsessed Bitcoin guy, 2013, and I'm going around at my job at, at Oracle, being like, "Hey guys, you got to get Bitcoin. You got to get Bitcoin." You know, and everyone thinks I'm this crazy guy talking about magic internet money. And of course, the price of Bitcoin at the time is like. and it spikes to a thousand dollars. And, you know, I felt, I felt pretty good about telling people about this, but ultimately what ended up happening is I got connected with another guy at Oracle who was happened to also be a crazy Bitcoin guy. He was mining. He was actually mining like from a computer, you know, at home at the time. And, you know, we got together and we said, okay, well, you know, Bitcoin is going to be the future of money, and if if so, like, what are the different areas that it's going to touch? You know, and we didn't we 
we didn't think so deeply about like what are sophisticated financial products that can be created with this. We just thought, you know, what are the basic, how, what are the basic ways that money moves in an economy? Right. Well, you know, and we looked at what was out there, right. There are ways for you to hold your money, a wallet, ways for you to, I guess, purchase Bitcoin, which is exchanges, a way for you to spend it, merchant processors. Um, but there's never really a way to for those merchant process, merchants to then take that Bitcoin and like use it to pay employees with it. And so it wasn't a fully, you know, a full financial loop, uh, a, a full system within itself. Right? And so we wanted to be the first ones to enable that, to close the financial loop, to create a system so that so that Bitcoin could exist in itself as a full financial ecosystem. And we wanted to be the first ones to do it. And that's that's how the idea sprouted. And in 2014, my co-founder, John Lindsay, and I, we just did the jump, went full speed ahead, quit our cushy jobs, and have been full-time at BitWage ever since. Fantastic. And yeah, I think it's interesting to see that the different narratives that have come and gone. I remember in those days, 2013 and 14, there was a whole narrative of merchant adoption. And there was this, you know, there was a lot more talk about the kind of idea of circular economy. This is pre-lightning. So, you know, it was it was different. And I guess in your mind, you were probably thinking, well, how do, how do we get more people to get paid in Bitcoin, right? Because you're trying to help them close that loop, right? And of course, that's, that's what you're doing today still. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, the company must have grown a lot over that time period, right? Yeah. I mean, so the first product we launched was to enable companies to pay their employees in Bitcoin. Uh, and we thought this because we saw companies that were receiving Bitcoin as merchants and we called them up and said, hey, would you like to do this too? And they were like, oh yeah, sure. Why not? They didn't actually mean it. Uh, so we, we created the product and, and it was very, very hard to get any customers. I think the first customer we had was a company called Fresh Pay, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was one of the first Bitcoin debit cards. But we, we knew that even though companies were not quite ready to accept this, that there were people who wanted to receive their salary in Bitcoin. So we said, okay, well, let's figure out how we can do that. And so we created a direct deposit product which uh, essentially we, you know, uh, uh, spin up a direct deposit account, which you can connect to your payroll service and you could receive a, a portion of your salary into that and then it can be converted into Bitcoin and deposit uh, into, into whatever wallet that you wanted, right? And that was important because that basically, you know, unlocked all the people who wanted to receive part of their salary in Bitcoin and, you know, we were able to grow from that. And, you know, at the time... The, a lot of people were actually like knocking Bitcoin and saying like, oh, but can you get paid in it? And so a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, you can with BitWage, right? That was, that was some nice marketing back then. But, uh, but yeah, so that, that helped us grow. Um, and I'd say until about in 2016, we realized that there were certain people who would get like 5, 10, 15, 20% of their salary in Bitcoin. And then there were other people who would receive their entire salaries in Bitcoin. And when we looked at those people, they were all international. Um, and so what we realized is that there was this huge problem with international payments with regards to rates and speed to deliver money. So people would get their entire salary in Bitcoin and then they converted what they needed into local currency as they needed it. And so then what we built out after that was an off-ramp that leveraged Bitcoin to move the money from country A to country B, but then off-ramp in local fiat currency to pay out to the users. And... You know, that we ended up growing pretty, pretty well um, until, you know, the, uh, the end of the 2017 bubble. And once that kind of crashed, 
you know, the interesting thing about our business is that people don't really reduce their volume during a bear market, but we don't see a lot of new business. So we kind of stayed a bit flat. Yeah, yeah, we could tread water, but we stayed a bit flat during that time. And then when 2020 hit, it was a, a you know entirely, entirely different mechanism because all of a sudden remote work just like blew onto the stage. Bitcoin and you know the rest of the crypto market kind of just exploded, and all, so all, all this interest began to grow. And so that you know we, we've grown 400 percent since then, which is which has been great. And we continue to grow despite the current market conditions, which is also great. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where we are today. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's cool to see that you can uh, grow even in a so-called you know bear market or whatever whatever we're calling this mm-hmm. right now. Uh, you know, Bitcoin about thirty k, right? But I think it, an interesting theme you were touching on there is remote working mm-hmm. and Bitcoin. Is there some natural synergy that you see there, or some natural? combination that it just it works well together yeah so I, I you know when we first came to offer the product the thought process is okay how do we just make it easier for someone to to receive bitcoin and in the united states a lot of people will think okay well you know what's the difference between you know getting cash and buying bitcoin and versus getting paid in it and and there, there is minutia and difference in terms of like you know, where you can get your money deposited, how fast it happens, you know, how much effort is, is going into it, where you actually want the money deposited. Since we're a non-custodial service, we deposit to whatever wallet that you want and you can even split it. But at the end of the day, um, it, 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 it's it, it, where we saw much more of a need is on this international side of it. Um, because uh, unlike in the United States, where it's easy to just get your cash deposited and then buy Bitcoin on the cross-border side, it's actually much, much harder. Um, And that's because, first of all, when you send the money over, you actually lose a lot of value and time just during that process. So purchasing your Bitcoin to actually move the money saves you money. Additionally, in a lot of places that uh, have less stable currency regimes, the price of Bitcoin is more expensive. And as a result of that, uh, you get access to Bitcoin with better rates if, let's say, you're a freelancer from like Argentina or Brazil or Nigeria or South Africa and you're getting paid from a client in the US, not only do you save money on the transfer, but you actually get a better rate if the Bitcoin is purchased in the US and then sent to you, right? Uh, so there are Right, because Argentina has like different rates. They've got like the blue dollar rate and like the government rate and so on. So they're getting the better rate, therefore they're getting more sats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, we can we can go into. I mean, the you know the, this kind of thing happens in 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 places that have like very high rates of inflation, right? There's Argentina, there's Nigeria, there's Turkey, right? Where there's almost like this dual currency regime because all the debt they have is not in their own currency; it's in a different currency, and so. They, the countries have an incentive to maintain like a, um, a particular exchange rate between, let's say, dollars and their own local currency, uh, even though on the streets, it's going out of control, right? It's way worse than that. But they're trying to peg it to this rate so that their debt is easier to pay off and comes out basically at the expense of the, 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 the people on the ground. And what ultimately happens when this happens is that Bitcoin tends to trade at 
the, the true market rate as opposed to this pegged rate. Um, and that's how this kind of benefit uh, occurs. But it, 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 the benefit happens anywhere where there is more demand for dollars than the dollar markets in the local country are able to to facilitate, right? Argentina and Turkey and Nigeria, these are like extreme use cases where, where you, you know, you, you're talking about like getting double your money, right? But in a lot of places around the world, it's not quite so so big. Like I think in like Brazil or in Mexico, you might be able to get a few percent more. You actually do end up getting more. Uh, it's just not as extreme because there isn't as extreme of a of a, a, a demand to acquire dollars outside of the local currency. Um, so it's almost it's almost as if it's a uh, a proxy to that demand to the dollar, which is kind of interesting in itself, right? Because maybe what's happening is people are are just trying to exit their own their own currency and maybe they'll take that bitcoin they'll try to turn it into dollars at some point or they'll hold it i don't know and that's what creates that premium right fantastic and so you are playing at both sides here because on one side you could be the freelancer who uses bitwage to get paid Mm -hmm. or you could be on the other side you could be an employer who's doing the payouts Mm -hmm. with bitcoin and so in that case the employer is sending you the fiat and then you turn it into Bitcoin and send it out to their person, like the employees or the people they're paying. Yes. And there's two, there's two kind of use cases on the employer side. One is like, I'm paying my employees in the US. I want to offer them the option to get part of their salary in Bitcoin. And we see when we're in the Bitcoin bull market, you know, the demand for that is, is, is a lot higher, right? But um, we actually recently just launched an integration with the top 23 payroll companies which basically allows uh, us to automatically create the benefits in the payroll system and then read that on payday so that the, pay, the, the employers don't basically don't have to do anything. This is like with ADP and paychecks and Trinet and uh, Zenefits and Gusto. I mean, mo- if you could think of a payroll provider, it probably works with it, right? And basically it then allows the employer to offer the benefit in you know a compliant way without any additional overhead and the employees are able to you know easily get the 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 bitcoin direct direct deposit so we can do that but we also have another use case which is again the international use case on the international side though it's actually not specifically bitcoin focused right it's more like i've got remote workers everywhere in the world in like 10 15 different places and like today like they all have their own invoicing tech. Some of them want to get paid into a Payoneer card. Some of them a Revolut card. Some of them, you know, some of them want their bank accounts, but PayPal only does these places, and bank wires are ridiculously expensive. And so they have to hobble together all these different systems. And so what we built is not just this like Bitcoin direct deposit, but uh, an entire payment system with an HR layer on top of it. And so what the company can do is they can onboard the workers and pay them without thinking. And the workers self-choose what they want on the other side. They can get fiat, they can get Bitcoin, or they can get stable coins, and they can choose what percentage they want between all of it. And, you know, we're basically just saving the company all the headache while giving the workers, you know, the ultimate freedom. Fantastic. And uh, I'm... Curious as well if you've seen much in like lightning uptake for this kind of thing as well. Like do people get paid out in lightning or is it still kind of all on-chain stuff here? Yeah. So 
we only did a proof of concept with lightning actually um one of the things that i'm I'm looking to do later this year is like a more sophisticated lightning implementation uh we you know we don't have uh, a wallet ourselves and so you know lightning has all these different sophistications where you know if i had hosted a custodial lightning wallet and i just like filled it and then you know you paid for it a little bit here and there that you know that would be like an experience that could easily be done but you know our ethos is like non-custodial forever and the reason why is we want to make sure that as regulations change that we still have you still have a, a compliant outlet to be able to get your uh, bitcoin deposited into whatever wallet you want that's that, yeah. that's like a core ethos that that i have to you know so that we don't lose that that functionality but to put that into perspective when it comes to lightning it's actually very very hard to do that because of the sizes of the transactions that people are getting right um and so as a result of the sizes of the transactions we would run into like channel liquidity issues this is, this is, at least when we did the proof of concept a year ago so i need to i need to basically do one again but we you know we run into issues where you know we couldn't get liquidity to deposit like five thousand dollars into someone's wallet so that they can spend it with the rest of the you know the lightning network you know you know i've always kind of a tangent i you know i feel like there should be a uh, a term for you know, like the greater communal lightning network, because technically like the lightning network is a technology that can have like private channels and, or can be connected to like the huge, the huge public channel. And I've always been called public channels. Yeah. yeah. So I've always just been calling it like the, the lightning network hive mind. Right. But, (laughs) um, but uh, anyways, just going back to it, it's something that uh, the experience that I want to have is you put in, you know, whatever, lightning wallet you want or maybe it has to be like you know ln url enabled lightning wallet and then we just like can pay you and like you don't have you know you can passively collect it you don't have to accept it every single time and we're not running into weird you know issues where money's not getting to where it needs to go payment failures and things yeah Yeah. exactly so that that's what i want i i I, based on my conversations with the lightning vendors that are out today because we would do it with a partner it seems like we might be like there. Um, I'm just uh, not a hundred percent sure if we are or not, but it's something that, you know, it's acutely on my radar and something that, that I want to make sure that we implement. Yeah. I mean, that that's cool. And I mean, like you said, right, it's, it's grown and certainly the lightning network in 2018 and 2019, it was a different beast. It wouldn't have been easy to route those kinds of payments, but you know, maybe over time and maybe it's not right now, but you know, let's say over the next few years, it could get to that point. And, you know, as a, as a quick example, you know, we didn't have LNURL back in those days. We have Lightning Address now. And hopefully soon we'll have Bolt 12. And so maybe that's, you know, in the same way that when people sign up to a service online and they type in, oh, what's your name? What's your email? It might be, it might literally be like, hey, what's your name? What's your email? What's your Lightning Address? Mm-hmm. Or, and what's your Bolt 12 code? And we'll pay you out on that, you know? And it's kind of like, then, you know, eventually... You don't have to think so much, you know, so hard about the channels and liquidity and all this, you know, the users just kind of type in their lightning address and, you know, now, okay, sure, some of them might be custodial and stuff like that, but then maybe, you know, with Phoenix and some of these others out there who are going to do Bolt 12, then they can just like get paid like that and and then all that kind of inbound liquidity is handled, 
you know, by Async and Phoenix or mm-hmm. by the LSP, right? But I mean, this is, you know, in the future, but I think that would be so fantastic to see. Um, and, you know, maybe the real impetus of that will come when the bull, when, you know, when the bull comes and there's, you know, on-chain fees are spiking sure. and all that. Well, d- tell, me, t- tell me about Bolt 12. I actually don't know that much about it. I'd love to I- learn a little bit more about oh, it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. So Bolt 12, the basic... So Rusty Russell had this idea. It was originally called Offers. And so the idea is, could you have a reusable string? Like, a, a, you know, instead of, you know, Bolt 11 invoice, where it's a one-time invoice, it's actually, it could be a reusable. Mm. And so now a lot of the implementations, so obviously Core Lightning, because that's where Rusty's working on, they kind of had it first, but other, other implementations are working on this. So even the Async and Phoenix wallet guys, they've mentioned Bolt 12 is coming to their wallet. I know LND is going to have like a little side extra bit i think someone's working on some i don't know the detail i'm probably getting it wrong someone correct me but someone's like working on like another little module that you could plug in so that lnd could kind of speak bolt 12 uh and i know even the ldk guys are working towards this kind of idea and what it would enable is is exactly this idea that right now one of the downsides with lightning address is that you have to have a web server and because for most people that's a lot of work and most of these you know, contractors, they're not like hardcore Bitcoin technical people. They just they just want to get paid, right? Fair enough. And so LNURL and this lightning address style, it relies on that web server. So typically a lot of people are using custodial wallets for that, unless you're able to run your own thing with BTC pay server or stuff like this, right? But with Bolt 12, it doesn't require a web <clears throat> server. So you could just easily have one reusable QR code that people can, you know, cool. scan and just pay you. Yeah, you know? that's awesome. So... Yeah, and so this is the kind of stuff that's coming over time, right? So it's interesting to see kind of over time, you know, people have been, you know, there have been the people who are kind of bearish on Lightning and think it's not going to work and then you've got people in the middle and then the people who are super bullish on it and think, you know, everything should be done on Lightning. But I think in terms of the experience, right, like once you've earned on Lightning and then you can spend on Lightning and it just kind of, it's very slick, right? Once you've earned on Lightning and then you can spend on Lightning easily. So that's just kind of, uh, yeah, but... I mean, I, I, I imagine that, you know, people would choose to like split, you know, between their savings account and their checking account, right? Lightning is their checking account and their, you know, on-chain, on-chain Bitcoin is their, is their, is their savings account, right? Yeah. And I mean, you know, of course it, it has to be like that if you live in a hyper, hyper Bitcoinized Bitcoin world, world. Yeah. because, you know, on-chain fees are going to be... Uh, unsustainable for an average everyday transaction. It just it's just what it is, right? I mean, yeah, that's just how it's going to work. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, that's where it's interesting as well. We're seeing technology like splicing. So I did a recent episode with Dusty, and splicing enables people to have a unified balance. Right? You could have a wallet with one balance, and it can just pay on chain, or it can pay Lightning. Mm. And we're seeing this now with Phoenix. I think they were the first out of the gate, and they've got it now on the beta. So if you apply for the beta channel on Android, and I think it's coming on iPhone soon, you can literally have just one balance. And so you can either get paid on-chain or you can get paid in Lightning, and it will splice it and kind of combine it all into one channel. So instead of before, historically, where if you were a Phoenix user and you had like 11 channels, Mm. if you're on the beta and you're on the splicing, you just have one channel. And whenever you pay, it just, you know, and when you need to do an on-chain payment, it's kind of splicing some out of the channel that you already have. So even if you, I don't know, as an example, let's say you receive $2,000 and you need to make an on-chain payment for $200, you just make that and now the channel capacity on your side is 1800 right? So 
that's kind of enabling. I feel like I'm missing something. So so it's like you you got on-chain Bitcoin and then you spent that on-chain Bitcoin on Lightning. At least that's the user experience. It's not the... Okay, so it depends how you receive it. So in the in the example where you receive it on chain, then yeah. Phoenix has to do a like a swap operation. And so think of it like yeah. you've got your channel and you've received some on chain. Then the, it's Phoenix yeah. has to do another on chain transaction to kind of splice it into the channel. And now it's in your Lightning, mm-hmm. like a unified balance thing. Oh wow, that's so pretty you cool. just have one balance, and you don't have to, and like all the channel management in the background, you don't have to think about it. Now, to be clear, you will pay a fee for that. So Phoenix's oh, okay. uh, yeah, Lightning, yeah. you'll be paying mining fees for that, right? For each on chain transaction, of course. And when you make a Lightning payment using Phoenix, I think it's up to zero point four percent of the mm-hmm. transaction value. So let's say you make a thousand dollar payment on Lightning, you're paying four dollars. So I mean, people today don't realize it, but with their credit card, they're already paying three to five percent. So they're already paying more than that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, how much would yeah, people I mean, pay? Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting, right? Because in different parts of the U.S., they treat uh, like credit card spend differently. Because like when I was in San Francisco, you know, it didn't matter whether you pay with cash or with credit card. But like when I'm over here in Miami, like uh, I see a lot of people who are, you know tacking on the additional fees like if i go if i go to my doctor and i pay with credit card they're charging me an additional you know two and a half percent right um exactly and actually if i pay with zelle which like i didn't know like had 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 a cost for them they're charging i think like one percent or something like that so you know even here in the united states for certain purchases people can the, the actual consumer can feel can feel the difference right uh with spending the credit card versus not and uh I think that, yeah, I mean, 0.4% is, it's pretty good, especially if, you know, you are, if the merchant can give back the money, right? I mean, right now, the credit card companies give back the money, right? The credit card companies, they're like, take the money from the merchant, you know, take their profit, and then give, give, give the user back the money, right? But really, could cut cut that out and have the merchant give the money back to the to the user for, for yeah. spending it. Right? Well, I mean, a lot of this stuff kind of hinges on people being willing to spend, of course. Now, I think in practice, what we're probably going to... Now, personally, I do earn and spend Bitcoin, but I recognize that most people are not going to do that yet for various reasons. It could be because of capital gains tax and record keeping and accounting and stuff like that. Or it could also just be because they're hodlers and they do not want to spend they'd rather just kind of spend the fiat if they have fiat so i appreciate that but at the same time i also think getting more people who could earn with bitcoin is a really powerful thing right if we're growing that base because we're, we're trying to win hearts and minds here right like at least that's how i see it we want to win hearts and minds we want to get more people to be bitcoiners so that we can sort of push forward you know the the vision of you know being in a hyper bitcoinized world which you know i would like to see but uh I understand, you know, it's going to, I also appreciate that it's going to take time to get there. I mean, it, nobody really knows, right? So, Yeah. I mean, if you, if you just think about, you know, how much payroll is being done just in the United States alone, you know, we're talking about, I think it was like, it's close to like $20 trillion, right? Huge, huge amounts. And if people are choosing to get, you know, if, if the average person's getting 5% of their salary in Bitcoin, right? We're talking about, like a trillion dollars of positive, you know, uh, like buy volume, yeah, buy buy volume, right? Of buy volume consistently, right? So that obviously is 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 going to help the network. 
get to what I would say is it's end game, right? Uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, you know, Bitcoin is early when there's volatility, right? And in fact, you know, what where where we know when we know it's mature is when five percent of you know people are getting or, or people are getting five percent of their salary in Bitcoin, and that has basically no impact to the price. Oh, that just acts as a stabilizing factor to the to, to it. And that's, you know, I mean, in my opinion, that's when people would spend because who, you know, most people don't want to spend Bitcoin when they feel like it's still early, right? And why, why would you? Back to the show in a moment. This show is brought to you by mempool.space, the leading Bitcoin and blockchain visualizer that you can host and run for yourself. So with mempool.space, you can go there and target the fee for your transaction. You can also take a look at the mempool there and see what other transaction fees in terms of low priority, medium or high priority and all kinds of statistics related to the mempool as well as mining pools and also they've got a lightning explorer. So there's all kinds of features there that you can go and see. They've recently brought out V3. So they've got some new features there on that also. For example, mempool blocks are scrollable and keep an eye out for the mempool accelerator. This is going to be a useful tool for those of you who have transactions that are further back in the backlog and you need a way to accelerate them. So keep an eye out for more detail there and go find out more over at mempool.space. When it comes to hardware and securing your Bitcoin, you need to go to coinkite.com. Coinkite make the Mark IV cold card. This is an amazing device. It's ultra secure. It doesn't even have to phone home in order to set up. You can't say that about every other Bitcoin hardware device out there because with the cold card, you can just use it with different software wallets that don't necessarily have to be the the CoinKite manufactured wallet. You can just use it with Sparrow or Spectre Desktop or Electrum or Nunchuck or various other wallets out there. The Mark IV is a great device. It has two secure elements. It's got NFC support, but the NFC is off by default. And it's a very reliable former that has a range of features that can be tuned for your individual security needs. So it can work for a beginner by just directly plugging it in. But if you're intermediate or advanced, of course, you can use air gapping and multi-sig and all of those advanced features. Go to coinkite.com and get yourself some cold cards using the code Levera for a discount. And now back to the show. And to be honest, for a lot of them, it is going to be early for some time to come, right? I mean, as I, you know, I'm curious if you've seen different numbers, but, you know, you see these numbers thrown around, okay, there's 100 million Bitcoin users or 200 million if you count across some of these big exchanges. But don't forget, a lot of that is custodial use. And some of that may be common, like there may be users who are both a Coinbase user and a Kraken or a Binance or something else user. And so then if you look at the actual unique on-chain Bitcoin users who are self-custodying, we're probably under 10 million. We might even be under 5 million globally uh, in terms of self-custody, that is. So, I mean, the global population is 8 billion, right? So, you know, we're still tiny. Of course, I think it's going to grow and I think it's going to have these big cycles and just like it has had historically, there'll be these big cycles and people, it, you know, we hit like a 10x in the volume and the number of people, but it'll be, and maybe that's what drives more lightning and more, maybe more ARC or other um, L2 conversations. And, you know, of course, some of those users will go custodial. Um, but, of course, we want to encourage, as you said, we want to encourage as many of them to be self-custodial as possible, right? But uh, I guess speaking of hyper-Bitcoinization, 
I'm sure you've probably got some thoughts on how things went with El Salvador turning on the Bitcoin law, but at the same time, a lot of people weren't really educated about Bitcoin there. Do you have any thoughts on how that went? And did you see anything in terms of your numbers or your users there? I would say, <laughs> I'll start with my, my numbers and my users. I would say that, that it wasn't really a huge effect. And, and, but the reason why it wasn't a huge effect was not because it, it's more related to like the markets of remote work than it is yeah. related to the level of Bitcoin adoption in the country. So there's just not a lot of remote workers in El Salvador compared to, you know, a lot of, a lot of other, a lot of other countries, right. you know, getting paid from the U S whatever. But, you know, we have seen, we have seen, we have seen an uptick. I mean, it was, it went from like nothing to, to something, but yeah. um, in terms of falling, I mean, you know, uh, uh, I think I can't remember when it, when they they did it and when they purchased the Bitcoin. Obviously, I, I I think that they're pretty down right now, if I'm not mistaken, and that obviously has an impact on you know how the whole world is treating their ability to pay their debt and 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 all this stuff. Um, I'm actually good friends with some of the people who are uh, behind the who, who are behind the technology of the Chiba wallet, which is the, the Alpha Point guys. Um, not the first iteration, which apparently was like a terrible rollout, but the second iteration of it. And they say that the stats they gave was like 90% of the population have like has interacted with the wallet. Really huge number, right? And that that's surprising and really cool. I, I love that you can go yeah. there and just like spend it at like a Starbucks or a McDonald's, right? That's really cool. But, you know, I, I, I can't say that I'm really up to date as to what is the usage today in El Salvador. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, again, of course. I view I view Bitcoin today as a savings mechanism. And I, I almost feel like it, that is what it's supposed to be. Right. I, I look at it as digital gold and digital gold is essentially just a, you know, a, a way for you to store your money uh, without governments being able to print more of it um yeah the use is hodling you know you know yeah the use the use is hodling that is the main use case it's just that once it's right now it's like we think that it could go to 100k 250k a million right um but at some point you know it's going to be closer to gold you know maybe it'll be you know two percent or you know like like grow at average global growth or grow at average global inflation, right? Um, which is, you know, not, not nearly the same degree or magnitude of growth. And once we are, once we're at that point, you know, people are saving their money in it. They'll feel like, okay, well, I'm not, you know, saving for it to, to grow substantially. I'm just saving to buy a house, to buy a car, to, to buy something big. Um, and then I'll spend it there. Or maybe, you know, you put all your money there because you're like, okay, well, I know this money's not going to be inflated away and I know I can spend it with the lightning network, right? And, you know, that, that's really the point that, that I think there will be much more of a spending adoption, right, when it's there. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, I think that is the likely pathway. Now, of course, there will be, there'll be a small but growing segment, right, of day-to-day spenders, right? People who use, as an example, BitRefill, and things yeah. like this, right? Who are like oh, regularly spending. And so that's going to grow. But I think maybe on the pathway there, you've got different segments or groups, right? You're the Bitcoin saving, right? The hodlers, mm-hmm. right? That's probably the important one. But maybe for you, the remote working is actually a really important sort of uh, demographic or segment that 
if remote working were to grow, to continue to grow, then you're then you continue to grow as well, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, obviously, obviously, spending uh, spending is great. And, and what we've seen with the growth of remote work, right, is that there is kind of a constant percentage usage of Bitcoin, right? Uh, I think it, it, we're at about 17% uh, it, it, of like the remote workers getting that amount of volume in Bitcoin. And this is like they have the choice to get their local currency to get stablecoin or to get Bitcoin. So it is a pretty high, pretty high percentage relative to you know what you might think because we're not we're not just like servicing bitcoin companies or crypto companies uh actually most of our companies are uh like main street companies whether it be like a tech company or like a professional services company you know that might traditionally these these are kind of the companies that traditionally have remote workers and they're using us and the employees are, are are electing to get a portion of their salary in bitcoin i think that's that's going to continue to be the case as as we grow right especially especially as as the use cases for bitcoin continue to grow yeah and i think um it's sort of some of this stuff aligns a little bit with like the sovereign individual and ideas like that where you know people can just jurisdiction shop right they can go to some other jurisdiction whether it's low taxes or better quality of life or you know less covid hysteria less climate hysteria who knows uh and they can go there and just get paid with bitcoin and sort of float a little bit above the regime there in you know or just kind of not be as impacted by what's going on because they can just deal with bitcoin right so that's kind of interesting to see i'm also curious if you have any thoughts on bitcoin as contrasted with stable coins and sort of the growth that you've seen um in those right because even even a few years back many of us thought hey these stable coins are going to get shut down by the government, you know, and maybe some of them are, you know, we can't, uh, you can't um, totally minimize that risk. Like it is possible also, but I'm curious if you have any comments on what you've seen sort of Bitcoin compared to stable coins. I would say that stable coins are pretty important. I, I so I, I actually look at uh, stable coins as a Trojan horse to Bitcoin. Uh, so what, what, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, there, there's sort of two main barriers to entry to Bitcoin. The first is, volatility. Um, and the second is public private key cryptography, right? And, you know, on the, on the trading side, and then the US side, what we see is that a lot of people um, uh, care, they, they want the volatility, but they don't want the private public key management. And so they, they, they offload that to a custodian, so they can get access to the volatility stuff. Um, but what we've seen with remote work and stable coins is it, it's, it, it, it's, it's, Often these people around the world are not ready for the volatility of Bitcoin, but they want access to a currency that's not their local currency. And so they'll get paid in a stable coin and then they'll actually learn about public private key cryptography and they'll leverage it and do non-custodial stuff. And so what that, why I see that as a Trojan horse is because, you know, in my mind, it's an eventuality that the US dollar will uh, not, be, not be the dominant currency anymore. And when, when that happens, you know, what currency is going to come up from the ashes? You know, you and I both, both believe that's going to be Bitcoin. And so when that happens, if you are in a world where you already know public private key cryptography with stable coins, it's just a click of a button to get to Bitcoin. And now you are in full control of your finances, right? 
And but where we are today, a lot of these remote workers, they're just not ready to get like their entire salaries in Bitcoin. They want something more stable than that, uh, you know, because people don't are not thinking on like four year, 10 year strategies. They're thinking, how am I going to pay for rent this month? How, you know, what are my expenses in a week, in a month, in six months? And, you know, when you are barely saving or living paycheck to paycheck, in my opinion, this is not a great Bitcoin use case, right? Because the, the volatility on the one month and the two week, you know, and the, and sort of the, the, the three and six month use case is so high that if you're barely able to spend, uh, you don't have a long enough time horizon to get you to where Bitcoin's going to be. And so people then choose, okay, well, I want some of the speed advantage, uh, that Bitcoin has and some of the arbitrage, you know, that's going on using stable coins or getting out of their own local currency. And that's, that's sort of where they, where they sit, where they land. Uh, but again, it, the, the surprising thing is that Still, we're seeing about 16% of the volume going to these remote workers being in Bitcoin, which I think is, is high. Uh, Stablecoin, though, is also is actually it's, it's higher than, than, than Bitcoin because of this particular phenomenon. Yeah. So, yeah, again, I'm not hating or whatever. I, I recognize that for some of these users out there, they are just simply not in an economic position where they are able to save, right? Um, yeah. A, a lot or, or a big percentage of their salary or their income um but i think in i think of them as maybe they're not ready for bitcoin yet but obviously we want as many people to be ready for bitcoin and we want to promote so personally i I never promote stable coins i promote bitcoin obviously but i i am trying to at least try to understand what's happening out there so that we're not blind to what's going on out there um and i guess in some cases it may be that they will need to sell to local cash in their market, whatever market they're in around the world. They, you know, may not be able to pay their rent with Bitcoin or with stablecoin, and they have to sell it for physical cash. And that means they need to go find a guy. You know, they need an OTC trader, a Cambio. They need, they need someone. They they can go and sell that for physical cash, and then pay their rent, buy their food, etc., pay their bills. But the long game is for them to come to Bitcoin. Although I will say some of the downsides are of some of the stable coins existing in a way is that, you know, rewind the clock to 2017. Bitcoin was the reserve asset of the kind of, you know, I, I don't like the term crypto. I know it's Bitcoin and shit coins as far as I'm concerned, but it was seen as like the reserve, you know, it was what people counted their profits in. But then I think yeah. stable coins sort of took some of that volume and some of that, because it sort of gave people almost like a false promise in a way, um, because really we all know they're not they're not decentralized, right? They don't have the same qualities of Bitcoin. But maybe many of these users around the world they understand that risk. And look, if they understand the risk and they 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 are comfortable with that risk, that okay, the stablecoin could rug them, or something could go wrong, or the government could go after stablecoins, then you know, so be it, right? Like they know the risk, they're taking it, and maybe for them they would rather that risk than trying to trust their local fiat banks. Or it's literally impossible to get paid, you know, through their normal fiat banking rails. So, you know, I'm trying to have uh, awareness of that, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes, sometimes, because with the a lot of like the stable coins that, that we offer mostly are centralized, centralized pegged, right? And so, you know, part of the trust that you have is just like, well, I trust like the U.S. regulatory body over the regulatory body in my own local country, right? On the banking system. 
which, you know, obviously with Bitcoin, it's like you don't have to trust any regulatory body. But, you know, people may are just not necessarily ready for 100% of their salary on such a radical concept. Instead, they're just thinking, like, how do I pay? How do I, how do I feed my kids? You know, and like, what's the closest thing that that's easy for me to comprehend that make it easy for me to pay my kids? Right. And that's really what they're thinking about. And, you know, the, as you said, like, like, when it, when it comes to like shitcoinery, we don't, we don't really do any shitcoinery. We're not, it's not like we're trying to go to like the, the, the people who are trying to figure out how to their kids and say, Hey, go purchase this shitcoin and you're going to become a millionaire. And that's how you're going to do it. It's like, no, you're going to, you're just going to get your money faster and cheaper. And, and it'll either be in, in Bitcoin, your local currency or in, in a dollar pegged, you know, token on this ominous technology called a blockchain. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But, but yeah, but I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I get that. I think, um, yeah, so it is kind of the, uh, but as remote working grows and as the awareness and desire to hodl Bitcoin grows, that's really, that's really where I'm seeing the growth pathway come here. Um, and so I guess in some ways for you, and like your business in Bitwage, it's sort of like you're trying to get connected up to HR and payroll because really you don't care whether they are a Bitcoiner who came to you for it. Like you just want more people to be able to do it. And then inside their own internal HR system, payroll system, oh, I want to get paid Bitcoin. Then you're, you're getting new people. That's kind of the... Exactly. And, and, you know, we're actually not trying to convince people. I mean, yes, I provide education on why Bitcoin, but, but, but that that's like a personal thing. When I think about Bitwage, it's not that we're trying to necessarily be the first educational step to Bitcoin. Right. I think of it as the second educational step. Once you've bought into Bitcoin, you know, how do you how do you sort of turn it into a thing that's regular uh, and doesn't po- you know create a lot of short term risk for yourself, right? Um, and getting part of your salary in Bitcoin is, is kind of, is kind of that thing. I mean, but you know, we don't, what we don't want is the grandma who decides to go a hundred percent all in because the price went up so much. Right. Right, We don't really want that. What we want is like, Oh, I heard about this thing. It seems cool. Oh, I see that my, my salary, uh, like I can get part of my salary. Why don't, why don't I turn on 5% or 10% of my salary to be in Bitcoin? Right. And that's, that's like, that's my hope and dream is that when we, we're there. So when you get onboarded to your employer and they say, Hey, you can do this. You're like, Oh, you know, why not? Let me test this out with like 5% or something like that. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. And I think the other angle is for people who can't easily buy it in their own country. Right. Because if they can earn it, that's like another easy way because maybe they're in a country where maybe there's not really good Bitcoin exchanges or they're giving you really bad rates or it's not easy because here's the other angle. There's a big, you know, debanking angle, right? Which I'm sure you're seeing, you know, Nigel Farage obviously uh, is a famous case, although that was maybe a bit more political. But nevertheless, if you are struggling to access the fiat banking system, just simply being in some other country and just being able to accept Bitcoin is it's a big win, right? Um, so I'm curious if you're seeing that as maybe that's like another growth area for you is like the more the fiat debanking happens, the more people come to you. I mean, yes, but it's not such a huge, 
it's not like a huge, you know, like factor for you, yeah. cataclysmic event that's happening, right? It, it, yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, it happens, and people come to us for it. Other t- people sometimes come to us because they they are volunteer voluntarily debanking themselves, right? Like getting your salary in Bitcoin is actually like the only. It, it's like one of the only ways for you to reliably acquire Bitcoin without a bank account, right? So if you wanted to like to 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 to, to get the unbanked on the Bitcoin standard, Bitcoin payroll is is the answer, right? I mean, the alternative is cash to Bitcoin ATMs and you're just gonna, you know, get robbed that way. I mean, that's just, that's just like payday loan industry, basically. <laughs> um, the Bitcoin ATMs, it's like robbing you. But with this mechanism, you know, you're, you're able to acquire your Bitcoin without having a bank account, never had a bank account and, and, and do it in a reasonable way. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting to see. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll see uh, more people start stacking. I mean, for me, you know, I want more people to just self-custody Bitcoin, right? However they get it, yeah. whether they mine it, whether they buy it with us at Swan, whether they, you know, whether they um, buy it peer-to-peer, whether they earn it, like it all, um, it all helps because what we want is more and more people who are sort of uh, at least starting their rabbit hole journey and going down that rabbit hole journey. And, you know, then I see it like that is what enables this kind of broader vision of just being able to, you know, transact peer to peer. And, you know, um, I think that'd be a really cool thing to see. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, I guess that's pretty much a pretty good uh, spot to wrap up there. So if you've got any, uh, any, uh, closing thoughts in terms of what you're seeing, um, you know, with, uh, Bitcoin and, you know, why should people, uh, consider, consider getting paid in Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm excited for what's around the corner, right? Uh, every day we see we see a lot of. I mean, I'm not excited about this generally, but for Bitcoin, you know, we see a lot of risk happening to the U.S. dollar with like you know all all the the attack from BRICS, right? Uh, that that's happening, and them thinking about creating their own currencies, right, uh, to challenge the dollar. Um, I think that you know with the halving that's coming soon, there is going to be uh, an interesting opportunity. And it'd be, I, I'm excited to see, you know, will the cycles continue, right? Um, that we've seen over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, why, why, why start getting paid in Bitcoin today? Well, I guess because it's, it's, it's super easy. It benefits you, it benefits everyone. And it's a very low risk way for you to get 5, 10, 15, 20, or 100% of your salary in Bitcoin. So, yeah, thanks for having me. You can check out Bitwage at uh, bitwage.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks. So, I hope you found that episode informative. And of course, I'm keen to see more people who are aware that they can actually earn Bitcoin even if their employer doesn't necessarily do Bitcoin payouts. So, Go and check out the show notes at stefanlevera.com. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to share it out there. And of course, I will see you in the Citadels.